Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. I'm your host, Mike Driscoll. And today I am pleased to uh, have as a guest Reuven Lerner. He's a trainer and uh, author and he does um, a newsletter, I think it's called Bamboo Weekly. Anyway, welcome to the show, uh, Reuven. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm super happy to be here. It's great to have you. I'm, I'm pretty pleased as well. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to? Sure. So I've been freelancing since 1995. Um, I started off doing uh, programming projects in a bunch of different high-level languages, so Perl and Python and Ruby. And over the years, people asked me, in addition to doing those projects, to teach their teams how to do what I was doing. And that was sort of my entry into the world of technical training. And I want to say it was already like 10, 15 years ago that I realized, wait, the training part is way more fun to me than the project part. Um, mm -hmm. Plus, no one calls me with bug reports. So um, mm -hmm. I decided, hey, I should just do the training all the time. And that's what I do now. So just about every day, I'm working with companies around the world teaching Python and Pandas. And then, as you mentioned, uh, I've written some books. I write um, several newsletters, one about Python, one about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one about uh, Pandas, one about training. And uh, I just mm -hmm. generally love the fact that I can, you know, sort of, make a living helping people improve their Python skills. I, I knew you had one or two. I didn't know you had three newsletters. That's amazing. Amazing or crazy. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have another friend, uh, Stephen Krupetta, and I think he's getting ready to launch a third one too. And I'm like, how do you find time? <laughs> so I'll tell you, whenever a client cancels a class, I'm like, woohoo, catch up on the writing. <laughs> don't, don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. But like, there's definitely part of that goes through my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, writing takes a lot of work. I, I am glad that you can take like training materials and turn it into like newsletter articles or other things. You can reuse your own content in like three or four different ways. And I, I really like that. So. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it sort of works in both directions. So if someone asks me a question in class that mm -hmm. sort of piques my curiosity so I can turn it into a newsletter, um, but also if there's a topic that I'm interested in exploring and teaching down the road, so I'll usually start writing it up as newsletters, like I'll do mm -hmm. a whole series on some topic. And then like, okay, I now feel confident enough with this topic that I can go in somewhere and teach it. And or mm -hmm. I can, um, you know, we were mentioning before we started recording, I can sort of propose it as a talk to a conference because if mm -hmm. i found this interesting if i sort of dug into it deeply enough to found stuff probably other people will find this interesting too yeah yeah I, I find that as well and what i really like is you can even take an like a like an article or a newsletter article or tutorial whatever you want to call them you can break those up into tweets and use them as tweets too or linkedin yes. whatever linkedin calls their little posts you know? <laughs> Anyway, right, 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 absolutely. Um, let's see. Oh, I like I like asking everyone. I don't I don't always ask everyone, but I would, I'm curious. Do you have like any favorite Python modules or packages that you recommend? So I mean, I would say mostly I'm just boring. Uh, you know, because I use a lot of Jupyter and I use a lot of pandas. Um, I would say two that I use um 
I'll, I'll say three, and one's not really a, a, a modular package, but I'll say it anyway. So one of them is the dis module, DIS for disassembly. And I mm. love, it's, that's the standard library. And I love using mm -hmm. that to break things apart when I'm teaching and show people, okay, let's look into the bytecode. Let's see what's actually going on here. And we can understand what's happening in our program by sort of peeking under the hood. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one thing. A second thing is I use something called Git Auto Push. I've been using that for a few years now. And it's this tiny mm. module that does one thing and one thing only. And it basically came from the fact that I complained on the Jupyter uh, Discord server that I, I'm teaching on my computer and I want other people mm -hmm. to be able to see my Jupyter notebook. But if they look at it, like it's read-write and then chaos ensues. Someone said, well, you can do it on your computer and then use Git Auto Push. It'll every minute or two commit and push to GitHub. And since GitHub displays Jupyter notebooks nicely mm -hmm. in read-only format, that's basically mm -hmm. what I do for all my training now. I do it on my computer. It uploads every minute or two, and they have an almost real-time view of whatever I'm typing. Because I don't do slides. I just do um, sort of live coding. Yeah. Um, and, and the third thing, which is not a modular package, I would even say it's like a two-part non-modular package, is the Python Tutor and the Pandas Tutor. Those two sites, I use them all the time, all the time in teaching. And at pythontutor.com, pandastutor.com, and they, they're these beautiful, brilliant visualization mechanisms for what's going on under the hood in Python and Pandas. Um, and in my books, I actually have links to those. So if you see an exercise, you're like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. You can click on the link, and then it brings up that program or a subset of it mm -hmm. in the Pandas case, and you can you can walk through and visualize it, which I think adds something to hmm. the explanation. That's cool. I, I've heard of Python, dude, but I didn't know there was a Pandas equivalent. It's new. It's new. It's from the same people. Um, okay. And it's, oh, it's, I mean, it's just amazing. The only problem is that there's a limited amount of text it will handle. So you, and it won't work with files or with URLs. So you have to basically create a string IO with the file, like the, the mini version of the uh, file you want, and then you can feed it in. But like that's, that's good enough for most purposes I found. Huh. That's really neat. I'll have to, I'll have to go look that up. I also have to get that, uh, that Jupyter package you mentioned. That, that sounds like a really good way to, to do um, teaching because I I use Jupyter notebooks as well when I do talks. I think that'd be cool to give the people a live version, so to speak. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So, do you have any topics that you find are hard to teach? Hmm. So, I would say the topic that's hardest for people to understand, but that I think I've managed to break through and like teach it okay over the last few years, has been mm -hmm. comprehensions. People are just okay. like completely flummoxed by comprehensions, even if they're experienced developers. It's just like a different, like they're like, well, oh, it's just an upside down loop. It's like, well, mm -hmm. sort of, kind of, but you use it in different ways. So I can at least walk them through that. And I think after they're done in my courses, they sort of have a better sense of that. But in terms of like mm -hmm. what's hard to teach. Um, so for beginners, I'd say, I was just talking about this on Twitter on, online uh, in the last few days with uh, Trey and a few other people. The whole issue of like printing versus returning values, that like I go through mm. it and I talk about it and I display it. And for newcomers, it's just like hard for me to express in a way like I lack the vocabulary and they lack the vocabulary to really understand what's going on. Although I got mm -hmm. some good ideas there from the exchange on Twitter. And in terms of like more advanced stuff, um, I love teaching people about descriptors, um, mm. not because they are really going to use it. And in fact, I tell them, you will not implement these in real life, but 
in my advanced classes to sort of show them really what's going on and how things are working, how the magic's happening, how functions are different from methods. It's the useful mm-hmm. talk about descriptors, but inevitably they or I, usually I, I guess, like end up using the words class and instance and object so often that they kind of step on each other and it's kind of hard for them mm-hmm. to pull out which one is which. Um, but like, yeah. but yeah, but, but look, I keep trying, you know, one of the advantages I have in teaching so much is that I always make the analogy to stand-up comedians where they try a joke, it bombs. They try it again in a different way the next day, it bombs less. And like they do enough iterations that it gets better. And so I teach enough that usually like give me 20, 30, 40 times, either I'll discover, okay, I just don't get this. I, I'm going to stop trying to teach it. Or more often, I think I've found, like I, I find something that clicks with people. Well, if you found a way to do to teach descriptors effectively, I think you've cracked most of the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's usually that by that really time people, yeah, it's it's hard. Like by the by the time I'm done, people, as I described it, their brains are sort of leaking out of their ears. They're just sort of not mm-hmm. sure what's going on. And then then I, as I said, reassure them, like, don't worry, you don't have to implement this, and they they breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah, I mean, descriptors in like meta classes, I'm like, they're cool. But you never really actually use them, hardly ever, you know? So it's funny you mentioned meta classes. So for a good number of years, I had clients asking me, demanding of me in my advanced classes that I would teach meta classes. It's like, really? Oh, yes. Our people definitely need these. And I finally managed to tell people, look, I, I could teach this, but it is gonna no, go, it's going to do no one any good. It's just not going to be used like on a regular basis. Better that we concentrate our time on other things, like for example, decorators. That I do think I have down pat in terms of teaching, and people understand them. And that's going to obviate you know, virtually all uses of meta classes that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only thing I've seen meta classes use is like mixins, and that's usually like a GUI framework that uses them, like WX Python or. Or uh, what is it? Uh, PyGTK. I've seen it used with that too. Uh-huh. Look, but, I tell people there are places where you will need meta classes if you're building a huge framework. But if you're building a huge mm-hmm. framework, you're way beyond anything I'm going to be teaching in my classes. Like, you, you don't need yeah. me anymore. Yeah, I'm like, you, that's the only place I've seen them used effectively is people, then they're usually like pre-made ones. They're not ones you're making yourself. So, again, <laughs> you don't really need to know unless you unless you need to like tweak the mix in yourself or create a custom one. So that's right. That's right. Anyway, I've noticed that lately you've been uh, really focusing in on pandas. So why is that? Why you, why do you have so much stuff about pandas lately? So it's a combination of things as usual. First of all, you know, market demand. I see that lots of people, I mean, the numbers I saw recently are that between five and 10 million people are now using pandas on a regular basis. And that's probably outdated. And if my experience with Python is any guide, there are an awful lot of people using it poorly. Like they're they're not quite sure what they're doing or how things work. So they're using it inefficiently. They're using it non-idiomatically. They're just getting wrong answers. They're spending lots of time searching Mm -hmm. on Stack Overflow or getting answers from ChatGPT. And I'd rather, like the analogy I often use is you can go to a foreign country and use a phrasebook or you can go to a foreign country and speak mm-hmm. the language. And speaking the language is always going to give you more confidence and just sort of give you faster feedback loops and be able to do more and better. Even, look, I use ChatGPT too. 
but it'll give me bad answer. I'll say, are you really sure about that? There's no other way. Oh yes, there actually is. Or like, so, so you have to know <laughs> enough to be able to challenge it. Um, yeah. And so I see like really a, a, an opportunity here, both a pedagogical opportunity and a business opportunity for me to reach out and help these people to improve their fluency with pandas. Um, the other thing is I just sort of, I like learning new things. I like exploring new things. And pandas is so yeah. incredibly vast. Not a week goes by. I mean, every time I teach, I learn something new, especially with pandas. But okay. like, part of the reason I'm sort of pushing myself to do more videos and Bamboo Weekly and so forth about pandas is I'm constantly discovering new functionality. Oh my goodness! Mm. This I didn't know this keyword uh, argument existed. Now that I know, it makes things so much easier. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like more surface area to explore for now, uh, which is which is fun. Well, what are some new things you've learned about it recently that you think is really worth sharing? So I just so I I love the um, string functionality in pandas. I don't think people talk about it enough that you can do like dot, dot str and then dot a whole bunch mm. of methods. And so all the built-in Python methods are there, but there are a bunch of additional ones. So okay. one of the ones you can do is split, right? And we all know str split, um, mm-hmm. and that basically you get a string. And you give it the delimiter, and it gives you back a list of strings. So far, so good. Yeah. So I recently had a case where I wanted to split a string into two pieces. Okay, so far, so good. But now I want to get those as two separate columns of a data frame, two separate series. Not one series of lists. I want two parallel series as columns. And it turns out that there is a keyword argument option to stir split in pandas. I think it's either expand or explode. I think it's expand equals true. Then voila, you get back a data frame. And then you can just assign it back in place of the original one. I was like, oh my God, this is what happens when you have lots of people solving problems and then feeding it back into the open source environment where someone's like, Mm. hey, it would be really great if we had such and such an option. Um, That is cool. that That was really fantastic. I just keep, uh, I don't know. I think the thing that confuses me about pandas with, I I don't do it a ton is that some methods uh, are in place and some return a new data frame and it's hard for me to tell which is going to happen. And so I'll make up the mistake and get, you know, a none type back or instead of the data frame I was expecting. So Mike, I have very good news for you, which is the core (laughs) pandas developers have said clearly again and again, don't use in place equals true. Just never use it. Okay. Um, and so like it's going away, it's deprecated. And the reason most people use it is they're like, well, if I just modify my existing data frame, that'll definitely be faster than getting back a new one and reassigning it. And the core developers mm-hmm. are like, no, that's not true. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so if you don't use in place, then just about everything returns a value. And if okay. you then... Do the, I mean, I, I give credit to Matt Harrison for converting the, you know, I've drunk the Kool-Aid now to doing um, method chaining and spreading it out over multiple lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to learn a few new techniques. You have to learn like assign and how to use lambdas more frequently with like dot lock. But the moment you sort of get into that headspace, it's like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And it's easier to sort of plan out line by line. Um, hmm. So it all does fit together, but it's not super obvious when you start off using pandas, not at all. Yeah, I definitely need to play with it more. I just don't. Uh, my particular uh, thing that I do at work doesn't really use pandas at all, so it's hard for me to find good opportunities to to use it. 
So then I just, you basically relearn it every time I come back to it. <laughs> right. Right. Look, that, that, you know, I always say it's like a language, right? That you, you have to practice a foreign language in order mm-hmm. to, and you have to keep using it in order to remain fluent with it. And so pandas is, again, just so vast that mm-hmm. even if you sort of get it for a month and then you ignore it for six or eight months, it's going to be rusty, right? It's just not going to feel yeah. as fluent. Um, and there's no, look, like there are plenty of things that I've learned in the past about Python that I just don't use or haven't used in a while that are rusty mm-hmm. for me. So oh, I yeah. sort of take advantage of my writing to force myself to keep current on, on at least some of these things. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I do. I'm like, like uh, Debrix Python. I was really good at that for a long time and I used book writing to help really firm it up. And unfortunately, Debrix Python has, the development side of it has gone down a ton. So now I'm looking at, mm. at other packages like uh, Textual. It's a, a Will McGugan's, uh, you know, Tui. And it's a really cool GUI. I really like it. Brilliant. The guy is unbelievable. I, I can't believe what he's managed to pull off with his whole Tui and Textual and, and rich stuff. I, I'm just mm-hmm. in awe. And I've done like the tiniest, tiniest amount of playing with it. And just like gobsmacked. Very impressive. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to dive into that because I'm like that seems to be a really cool lightweight way to create a GUI, and it's different. And you can deploy it to uh, the web if you want to, so it's neat. Right, right, absolutely. Anyway, um, back to pandas. Do you plan to like focus on another package like Polars or you know, I don't know Matplotlib or something else, or are you just going to keep on with pandas for the next few years? For now, look, I mean, I would say probably about half of my corporate training is with pure Python and the other half is now with Panda stuff. Okay. So I think Pandas is going to keep me busy for a while and I'm sure I'll find like more nooks and crannies and things. I have mm-hmm. played a little, I, I've used Bamboo Weekly also as a way to sort of explore new topics. So I did something with Polars there uh, maybe about a month or two ago. Um, and I'll probably continue trying to mix it up a bit. Even if, and, and here I'm going to make some like, like assumptions which I don't necessarily believe. But e- or assertions I know necessarily, even if Polars is way better than Pandas, um, mm-hmm. Pandas is sort of where it's at, right? Like it's yep. just got such mind share and so many users and so many add-on packages for it that mm. um, it, it's it's almost, and here I'm really going to insult a lot of people, it's almost like like C programming for the last you know few decades where, mm. you'll, you know, it wasn't necessarily great, but it was what everyone did. By the way, everyone except for me, because I was terrible at C. And I'm so glad that I managed to find a career in another language. <laughs> um, but like, I think, I think Pandas has just hit that sweet spot of tons of functionality, uh, well-managed pro- project that continues to improve. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's kind of, I, in some ways, I think Pandas is kind of like Python's data science hub, like Django was the web framework for a long time that everyone used. That's a great way to describe it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And they are doing all sorts of impressive things, right? Like this whole PyRO business that they're cleaning, clearly pivoting toward over the coming versions and years. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. And, um, you know, people are playing with various distributed versions. Um, like that's going to also be a big deal when they can get it really solid and really easy to mm-hmm. install and set up. So there are a lot of, if you look toward the future, a lot of exciting things going on in the Pandas world. And it's just going to get better as more and more companies use it and they then start to invest in it, sort of like people have done with core Python, um, I yeah. think we're going to see even more advances uh, along the, the, the Pandas way. 
That's really cool. Yeah, I, it's definitely something I'm going to be checking out more. And I think I'm going to, you know, I, I have Matt Harrison's book on pandas, and I think I have yours. So I really need to sit down and start reading them both and, and get myself up to up, upskilled. Absolutely. So, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. So do you have any tips that uh, you would say for like staying current with, with tech like, like pandas or similar? You know, there are a few different ways to do it. One of them is to use it day to day, right? Like, so mm -hmm. if you're doing development work um, and if you're not doing it at work, you can join an open source project and work on it there. Um, I don't do those things. And I'm, I'm actually kind of <laughs> embarrassed that I'm like, I mean, I'm not doing training, so I'm not really working on projects. And my embarrassment mm -hmm. is I just don't have time to really do much contributing to open source projects. So I sort of tend to be on like the documenting, you know, hyping side rather than the contributing mm -hmm. side. But there are many, many, many people who keep their skills sharp by doing that, by contributing to these projects and, um, mm -hmm. you know, working on it. I mean, what I do is I do a lot of sort of asking questions. I do a lot of almost like, like yeah, asking questions like, why does this work the way this works? And I'll go do a, down a deep rabbit hole, doing a combination of playing with it myself, searching online, reading blogs, watching videos from conferences. And yes, sort of having a discussion slash argument with ChatGPT. So I'll ask it, like, you know, <laughs> what do you think about this and this and this? And it'll give me an answer. I'll say, well, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And like, mm -hmm. at a certain point, it'll say nonsense and I'll push back, like I mentioned earlier. Or I will get this incredible insight from ChatGPT and then I'll go off and read more along those lines. But it takes time. It takes time and it doesn't happen all once. And I think one of my, as I said before, like one of my um, sort of, advantages is that I'm teaching so often that I can share things with people and they will give me pushback. Mm -hmm. In fact, I tell people that one of the advantages of me, like living in Israel and teaching here a lot is Israelis are unafraid to tell their teacher he doesn't know what he's talking about um, <laughs> and push back. So A, it helps me develop the thick skin, but B, it means that I have to go do my, I have to do my homework in advance. And very often they make me do my homework while the class is going on to double check what mm -hmm. my thinking is. And so that sort of sort of intellectual ping pong also helps me out. That makes sense. Um, do, have you found that AI has changed the way you teach or write at all? So the writing, yeah. Like, uh, so when ChatGPT came out, what a little more than a year ago, I was like, "Oh, this is cool. This is fun." And someone said, "You know, they're charging twenty dollars a month for their advanced model." I was like, "Who would ever do that?" Now it is easily the best investment I make each month of those $20. What do I do with it? So every newsletter I send out, I have ChatGPT copy edit it. And I have it give me mm -hmm. some tech, like I say, be harsh, tell me about all the grammatical, spelling, usage, punctuation problems. And usually, mm -hmm. let's say 90% of what it writes, I'm like, no, 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 I disagree, or this is the way I want it. 5%, mm -hmm. it's like, or even you know, 8%, it's just flat out wrong. But that 2% that it finds, <laughs> genius. Um, and then I have to do a tech review of what I've written also, my code. Um, I also have started doing, uh, I guess, for the last about four or five months, illustrations with my Bamboo Weekly newsletter. And like, so mm -hmm. Casey Newton, who produces uh, the amazing Platformer newsletter, so he got me started on this. So he started doing illustrations with mm -hmm. ChatGPT. I was like, oh, I should do that, but what can I do? And then it finally, finally hit me, oh my God, I can just have it draw panda bears in all sorts of different situations. <laughs> so when I analyzed Netflix data, I had a family of pandas watching Netflix on the TV. 
when I had mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, Nobel Prize winners, I had a bunch of pandas clutching their Nobel Prizes and so forth. And so that's mm-hmm. now become a challenge for me each week. Can I come up with cute ideas? Uh, and is it as good as a human illustrator would do? Probably not. Is it better than I can do? Oh my goodness, yes. Is it better than a human illustrator could do 10 minutes before deadline? Absolutely. Positively, mm-hmm. yes. So, so yeah, yeah so it's really been a surprising revolution in, <laughs> in my work. I wondered if you what if you're using Midjourney for those images or something or some kind of AI. So, oh yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried anything besides ChatGPT for for creating images? Just just out of curiosity. I used when I started off on like playing with things. I used yeah Midjourney, Stable Diffusion. I think I used each of them once or twice. And I don't think they're necessarily bad, right? They're, they're, they're good at what they do. And if, but, but the fact is, if I'm in this, like I always have a chat GPT window open. Um, and so I can always like play with it and, you know, it just, it's just become my default go-to for this sort of thing. Cool. That's cool. I've, I've had, I've played with chat GPT, but as often as not, the website won't load for me. So I don't use it as much as I should. It just is like, mm-hmm. oh, we're overloaded. You can't access it. And oh, Wow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I just don't get to use it as much as, as some people do. Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's great fun. And like the mistakes it makes creating the images are also like hysterical. So when I asked to do the Netflix mm. thing, for example, it like showed a family on the couch watching TV and you were behind the TV and the TV image was like on the back of it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really know mm. what a TV looks like or how it works. It's just like yeah. going based on its model. So it's kind of fun to see how it can just be wildly, crazily off sometimes. Yeah, I've used, uh, I think it's Microsoft Bing's image creator because it was free for a long time. I think it still is. Mm-hmm. And it's funny what it will do. Sometimes it's like way off what I'm like, what I'm what I'm looking for. Like, what did I ask it for? I wanted to create a create a snake or a python. And for some reason, it took the Python and it put it put like this Python skin on a human face. Uh, Why did you do that? (laughs) I'm like, that's that's like a that's really weird. So (laughs) you never know what the AI is going to do. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's it's like sometimes super obvious, and a lot of times, what the heck was it thinking? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's fun. Like, I mean, the, the analogy that I used back when this started was, you know, when people were sort of worried about being unemployed as a result of ChatGPT mm-hmm. and so forth. I said, well, my accountant is still in business, even though he uses, like, even though Excel was invented. Um, so you sort of have yeah. to move up the food chain a little bit and see it as a way to help yourself. What I am a little concerned about is that if it makes senior developers like us more productive, how are the juniors going to accumulate the experience they need to then move into positions where they'll be able to use it? Like, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if there's like a, a, I don't want to say a hiring freeze, but a smaller number of hires for juniors just because like they're not necessary because the seniors are so ridiculously um, productive. I can but see that. We'll see. I think one of the other disadvantages is that, and I was talking about this with another another fellow in a previous episode, is that, uh, chat GPT will tell you the answer before you've actually learned how to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get that experience 
And so you don't know if it's telling you the right thing or not. It works, but it may not work well. That's and right. If you don't have you don't have that experience, you're going to be like, "Oh, I did it. I did a good job." And then you put it out, you put it push it to production, and it doesn't work with at, at scale at all, or you know, 100%. whatever. A hundred percent true. Right, right, right. There's there's no there's no substitute for at this point for human experience. Um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it just gives you bonkers answers where that are completely wrong. So. Yes. And indeed. if you don't know what you're looking at, you're like, oh, it looks like it works. I think it works. But if you don't know anything about coding or you don't know enough about coding, it can easily snow you and trick you. So. All right. Absolutely. I heard, in fact, just, um, you know, there was this trick that I heard about a few weeks or months ago where ChatGPT gives you, a, uh, like, it says, I'm not going to help you because, like, you know, it's restricted. You say, I'll give you a tip if you help me. Like I'll pay you two hundred dollars, and so ChatGPT would be like, "Okay, I'm going to help you." So then I heard last week <laughs> that they've added, like, that they've added memory to it. And so I just saw in the last day the 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 intersection of these two things. So someone posted, I think it was on Twitter, that someone um, said, "Hey, you don't want to do this? I'll give you a tip if you do a good job." And ChatGPT says, "You previously offered to pay me, and you didn't." So you really shouldn't make offers that you can't follow through on <laughs> and I'll help you anyway, but really, really, you should stop lying to me. And I was thinking, Oh my God, this is so crazy. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if given that memory is a good thing or a bad thing, but that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's right. But um, We're fortunate to be living at a time when, uh, all these um, all these technologies are available and either free of charge or very inexpensive, and we can mm -hmm. mix and match them and then you know try them out. Yes, yes, it's really it'll be fun to see where it goes in the next few years. Well, anyway, I think we reached the end of the end of my questions, so I just want to thank you again for being on the show today, and I hope to see you again sometime soon. Absolutely, thanks so much, Mike. This was great fun. Yeah, thank you. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.